recognize that that number's a thousand, and there's probably like three or four or five of you uh, meeting in one place. And so, to be honest with you, last week was probably our, our largest attended Easter service in the history of Sierra Bible Church, and we're thankful for that. And we heard a lot of great reviews of people who were who were touched and reminded of the resurrection of Jesus. And if you've been checking in, one of the things that's kind of happening with this is that more people are starting to kind of question, you know, who is God in this, and, and where is he in all of this, and is he present, and, and what's going to happen? Is this the end of the world? I'm seeing apocalyptic posts and people questioning and wondering and fearful and filled with anxiety and all of that. So uh, we recognize this is a season where some of you are here and you're checking in online and you're wondering, what does God have to say to you? And we're thankful for that. And we're hoping and praying that, that this season would be used for you to get connected in your relationship with Jesus Christ indefinitely, that this isn't just a seasonal thing, but this is something that you can have the peace of God with you always. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so yet, go to our website, sbctrucky.com. We have a newsletter, play, a place on the front page in the newsletter that will allow you to just put your information in there, and then you'll get our newsletters and information about all the things that we have coming up and all of the links and connection points for you. For instance, we're still doing Kids Church, so we have videos for that from Abby and Joe Casey. Uh, we're still launching material for that, printout material and all of that. That's all on the webpage as well as the newsletter. And then we obviously have a place for you to give online. And so we've been encouraging over the last several weeks, if you normally give in the box, and since you're not here, either mail in your check to uh, our address, which is on the webpage, or you can give on the online tab. And I just want to express gratitude, a couple uh, points of praise. Uh, Brad Franklin let me know that um, we've been getting from some of the, you that are just checking in on, on the East Coast uh, and other parts of the country, y- you have been generous enough to give us some donations in the $50 range, $100 range, and we just say thank you for continuing to worship the Lord and giving uh, and supporting our ministry, and we just want to say thank you for those gifts. And then on the other side, obviously, some of you have been able to be really generous uh, to help us continue to serve our people. In fact, uh, one individual gave a good donation in the last couple weeks for benevolence, and so there's an ability for us to connect with people in our church and our community that are in need. And we just want to express that to you as well. So many of you are listening in. Maybe you're in need. Maybe we know you. Maybe we don't. Our offices are still open. The staff is still working hard and diligently to connect with you and to help you and to serve you. Uh, Wayne has made probably 600 phone calls in the last two weeks. Uh, I've been taking a lot of text messages, emails, and phone calls as well. Uh, And then Brad Franklin and myself and some of our elders have been working hard to just keep track on our numbers as far as financially where we're at so we can take care of your needs as well as keep the lights on uh, here in the building and to continue to function and do ministry well. So all that to be said, we want you to connect. Another place you can connect as well that's coming up next Sunday, John Drollinger is launching a study called Established. Uh, It's a several-week study that's kind of like the foundations of faith. And so on our webpage, you'll see Uh, a slide on that front page that says establish, and it gives you an email. You can email John so you can sign up and get the information there uh, to make sure that that, uh, you're continuing to grow in there. So more opportunities for you uh, to grow in your faith, as well as all the Bible studies that we have that have moved digitally and via Zoom and all of that. And if you're looking to get connected, uh, just make a phone call to the office, and we'll make sure we connect you to the right group. with that said, like I said, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 4, so let me, let me just start with uh, kind of a story. Let me start with a question, and then we'll get into the text. 
uh, wherever you're at today. We'll, we'll, we'll get into this and we'll find some hope in the life of Moses and we'll find some peace and we'll find God's grace. I just want to ask you a simple question uh, that maybe you have, that you're feeling now. Maybe you're, uh, you've felt it in the last couple weeks. I'm not exactly sure. I know it's something that I have felt at times. Have you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt frail? Uh, I, I know actually of someone in our church, they connected us uh, with a prayer request that their friend actually got the coronavirus, and he was uh, in the hospital, and he had to be uh, under a ventilator, and he's a young guy, he's in his 40s, and he reached out to us, and he said that he's weak, he's not doing well, we need a miracle, would you please pray? We sent that out to you as a church, uh, and we began to pray for him, and immediately the next day, we started to get new reports, uh, and, and he's now at home, and he's doing well, and he's healing. Uh, maybe you've been sick in this season, and you've felt weak, or maybe, like me, I, I remember when I was a kid, um, I grew up in that day and age, right, in the 80s, where I was just talking with Caleb about this earlier, it was kind of the, the age of the machismo, right? I, I grew up uh, watching movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Rambo, Sylvester Stallone, like Rocky, uh, Van Damme, remember uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, he could do the splits, uh, in the day and age where there was the muscular and the tough, uh, it was a day when it was actually okay to be a, a dude, and uh, I know we're kind of far from that now a little bit. And, um, and, and, but it was that day that I grew up, I grew up in, in the eighties and, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they're all jacked up and all that stuff. And, uh, and I remember my dad would bring home these, uh, the UFC videos. I know I probably shouldn't share this with everybody the kind of way I grew up, but, um, and there's the ultimate fighting championship. And that was when you had to get them on VHS. And there was only like two states where they would allow those, those guys to fight at that time. And there was like no rules. And, and here I was grow, you know, growing up in this environment with, you know, tough masculinity. And my parents weren't Christian. And, uh, and, and, and everybody was just a tough person that was around me. My dad, uh, who raised me, my, my stepfather, Dave, he was a really tough guy. He, was, he, he worked with another guy named Dale. He was another really tough guy. And all these motorcycle guys that rode Harley-Davidson's, they're all tough dudes. And I just was this little toe-headed kid. My hair, I, it's, I, know, I know it's hard to believe, I used to have hair. And I had, I had beautiful blonde hair. I was beautiful. I, and all the girls when I was a kid would be like, oh, look how beautiful his hair is. I was a towhead. I mean, it was like white, 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 white hair. And, uh, and I just was this little kid. And, and then I remember starting to see these movies and growing up and realizing I was weak. I was physically weak. And I felt emotionally weak too because of the brokenness that was kind of in my home. And, uh, and I remember I went to the high school gym uh, around seventh grade, sixth grade, to see if they'd let me start working out. And they wouldn't. And so I went home, and my dad had a bench press, and we started working out there. And then slowly but surely, you know, the gym life kind of became my life, and I became physically strong and, and was able to develop some strength and, and trying to get rid of that feeling of weakness. Uh, now, on the other side of that, I've obviously have not only felt physical weakness, but spiritual weakness. Uh, and maybe you have felt that as well. The, 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 the stuff in front of you, the stuff in life in front of you, the mission that God has put in front of you uh, seems difficult. It seems large, larger than life. Uh, I remember, as some of you know, because I've shared it before, the difficulty of when uh, my stepfather died. And to be there for my sisters and for my mom, uh, as well as my wife and my children at the time, it was bigger than me. I was spiritually weak. Have you felt that spiritual weakness and frailty ever in your life. Now, as we get into Exodus chapter 4, the reason I share that is because we're going to be introduced in Exodus chapter 4 to God's power, God's miraculous, through the humility 
and the frailty of Moses. I've tagged this message, God's power flowing through our humility or flowing through humility. Now, remember the story of Moses so far is that, that Pharaoh had enslaved the Hebrews, and enslaving them, he, he realized that their numbers were growing too big, and so he decided to not only enslave them further, but also to put the firstborn male to death. And we have this little baby who is placed by his mother into the Nile River, and someone finds him from Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh's daughter, and then Moses is raised with inside Pharaoh's house, even though he's a Hebrew. He is saved in the Teba. Uh, teba is the word that is used for Noah as well when he was saved in the ark. It's only used in those two different times, uh, both in the, Mo- the, the Moses story and the Noah story. And he is saved. God radically saves him, miraculously saves him. He grows up in Pharaoh's home. He sees later as he's an adult, he sees that one of his brothers, the Hebrew brothers, is being beaten by an Egyptian, and Moses murders this Egyptian. He buries the, the man in the sand. He thinks that he is safe. Later, we find out somehow, some way, there's a rumor that he has killed this man. Moses runs away from Egypt, and he ends up in this place where he finds his wife and where he now comes to this place here, which we believe is Mount Sinai, and he's speaking to the burning bush that is depicted behind me on your screen. And as God is speaking to Moses, this is what he has to say. And so, uh, as is our custom, even though you're at home, we're trying to maintain as much of our faith and tradition as possible. If you're at home, would you please stand with me as we read a little bit of chapter 4 from Exodus. After God has had this little bit of a conversation, he has introduced himself to Moses I am who I am in chapter 3. And Moses' answer to God is this. Let's read together chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak and put it, and he, and he put it inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put it back inside his cloak and he took it out and behold, it, it, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, and you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, My Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since. I, I, you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with you, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. 
He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff in which you shall do these signs. Lord, we ask that you set aside distraction in our home. I know right now in my house, my kids are probably trying to draw, and my wife is probably trying to listen, and I know that it's somewhat distracting. Give peace in my home. Give peace in our family's homes now as we worship you through the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So here's, here's the deal. So I just remember I told you early on when we started Exodus, I gave you um, some major themes that exist in the book as a whole. One of those themes is the stubbornness of man, or another way that we put it, the hard-heartedness of man. The reality that, that, that people get it wrong. People don't always know what they're doing. And not only do we not know what we're doing, sometimes we're just flat-out stubborn. Now, I want you to imagine this for a moment because, because remember, set the scene here. First of all, this bush has appeared to Moses. Moses is a shepherd, and shepherds were despised by Egyptians. They, they were, this is actually a biblical thing. Egyptians couldn't think any lower of a person than if they were a shepherd. And this is what Moses has been doing essentially for 80 years. So by the time we get to this story, he's 80 years old. He's been a shepherd. He's been living in the wilderness and all of the sudden, as he's out shepherding and doing his duties, a bush catches fire. Now, I want you to understand something about this bush. First of all, the, the kind of uh, bush that exists in Egypt is known for if it catches fire, it explodes. And so this reality that this bush is on fire and it's not being consumed is miraculous. And of course, it catches Moses' attention. So he goes over to this bush to see to see what it, what it will do, and, and it happens to be God speaking to him. We believe that it's very possible uh, that this is Jesus himself, this part of the Trinity that, that is God that's actually speaking through the bush, and God is, is speaking to Moses, and Moses is hearing from God. Now, if your TV caught fire right now and wasn't consumed and began to speak to you, I think that your response would be awe. It would be, well, what is happening here? However, that's not what Moses does. Instead, he's been isolated with sheep, and he begins to give God several excuses about why he shouldn't be used by God. Uh, maybe these will uh, speak to you to some degree or another. Let, let's just look at them real quickly here. In chapter 3, verse 11 through 12, uh, I know we didn't read that this week, but when the, bur- the bush first shows up, the first thing that Moses says is, who am I? Uh, and God says, it doesn't matter who you are, it matters who I am. But he asks the question, who am I? He basically goes down the list. I have no credentials. I've been in the wilderness for 40 years. I'm a nobody. And, and this is exactly what God decides to use typically in the kingdom of God are people who, who are not always have it well together. In fact, I, I'm one of those individuals that took a path of ministry unlike so many others. Self-taught in many ways, didn't go to seminary. I don't have a college degree. Maybe that disappoints some of you and you want to turn your TV off now because he doesn't have the degree, so he must not be able uh, to articulate well and all. I mean, I wrestled with all of those things, yet God has decided to use the humility of man in Moses' life, and he still continues to do the same now. Who am I? The other thing he says in verses uh, three, chapter 3, verses 13 through 22, he basically says, what shall I say? This is the issue of, okay, I'm a nobody. That's number one, okay? I'm a nobody. Number two is, I don't have good content. I don't have good information. I don't know what to say, he says. That, that's excuse number two. Two other excuses that are kind of inferred here in regards to the who am I. Number three, he's not fully Hebrew. 
He was raised in any Egyptian uh, household. So the Hebrews would have looked down on him because he was raised in prestige. So he wasn't fully Hebrew, even though he was Hebrew, and he wasn't fully Egyptian because he was Hebrew by race. So he really doesn't fit in. He's not a Hebrew. He's not an Egyptian. And then look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. What if they don't believe me? This is worry. He's got worry. That's his other excuse. They won't believe me. I don't have good content. Uh, I, I'm a nobody. I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. I, I'm a Hebrew, but I'm not a Hebrew. I'm an Egyptian, but I'm not an Egyptian. No one's going to listen to me. No one's going to respect me. I have worry. And then in chapter 4, verse 10, he says this. He says, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. Now, we don't totally know what this is. It's possible his tongue was too big for his mouth. It's possible he stuttered. Some theologians believe maybe, maybe he, he, after being in the wilderness for 80 years, he actually forgot the language of the Egyptians. We're not told. Maybe, maybe this is a, a, a false humility or, or he stutters. We're not exactly sure. But he makes this excuse, I'm slow of tongue. And then verse uh, 13, he basically says the opposite of what Isaiah says. He says, well, here I am. I'm standing before this burning bush, but send somebody else. I don't want to be your guy. Here's essentially what Moses is doing, and I think it ties in sometimes uh, in how we respond to God as well. He's using his past as an excuse to not obedient to God. He's using his past as an excuse to not be obedient to God. Uh, Paul says it this way. He says, when I came to you, we know Paul, one of the most powerful preachers in all of the history of the Bible. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He came with the gospel message of humility that Jesus came on our behalf. He died for our sins. He placed upon himself our suffering and our iniquity, and he placed on us his righteousness and his goodness. So let me, let me just encourage you in this. Moses is a picture for us to never allow our past mistakes, our past identity to keep us from being used by the Almighty God. So I don't know what your past is. I don't know where you feel weak. I don't know where you feel frail. But the message of the Bible is you cannot allow your weakness to get in the way of God because if anything, it's in our weakness, we are told, that he is made strong. It's in, it's in our suffering where we are made strong. So right now, we, we're in this place where historically, uh, the church has grown when it has scattered. That is a historical truth. Anytime there's suffering, anytime there's hardship within the church, anytime God's people are persecuted for whatever reason, the people disperse and the church grows. And so right now, we're, we're in that day and age where right now we are scattered each into our own home we recognize that as a reality. We don't like it, and we don't necessarily celebrate it. Uh, in fact, I was telling some of the leadership today, I'm, 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 I'm just kind of so over all of this. I just, I just want to open up the doors and say, forget it. You know what risk you're taking. Let's go to church. Let's worship Jesus together. However, the reality is, is because we're scattered, God is using the scattering of the church to grow the church. More people are hearing the goodness of Jesus Christ than ever before. In fact, I saw an article this week in Greg Laurie mentioned that what he's seeing in his church is that populace of the millennial and the next generation are becoming more inquisitive to the gospel of Jesus. That's good news. And it's good news because we've been told as pastors and leaders that the millennial group does not want to have anything to do with Jesus and that they're the ones that will be the end of Christianity in the United States of America. And could it be that God is using the coronavirus 
to bring more people to Jesus? Absolutely. Uh, there's a, I'm going to point you to a, a great message. It's two hours long. Uh, you, you may have some time for that. It's called Coronavirus in Christ by John Piper. You can read it. You can listen to it um, uh, on an audio book. It's all free for you on desiringgod.org. But it, it is a tremendous message of the sovereignty of God and the hardship of things like virus and the goodness of God in spite of the fact that bad things happen. So what happens here is God, God hears these excuses that Moses is giving. So what is God's response? I think it's interesting to note a couple things. Number one, God's response, uh, in his response to Moses, he never addresses Moses' inability. He, he never addresses uh, the fact that, that, that Moses has a lack of ability. He, he doesn't mention uh, that Moses can speak well. He doesn't say that he is a good leader. He doesn't say, Moses, you are a humble man and you can do this. He never goes back and says, and says let me strengthen your self-esteem. Let's get another workout in so you can get stronger. Let's read a few books so you can feel a little bit more educated. Let me put you in a classroom setting for a little bit of time so that you can finally feel good about yourself because ultimately that's how you're going to be used, right? If you feel good about yourself, Yourself, right? If you, you feel good, well, then maybe, maybe you'll be able to, to have an impact. That's not what he does. Instead, what God does is he speaks of himself. Verse 12, he says, Moses, you're going to go, and he says, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to teach you. Now, let me give you an example, he says, Moses. Not only am I going to be with you, let me give you an example of not your power, but my power. And there's three miraculous signs that Moses is given by God. The first one is the snake. Now, the snake is interesting because it, it speaks of Satan in the garden, uh, this image of, of, of evil. The snake also is, is that which Pharaoh would have on his crown uh, as a false god to show his power. In fact, when he wore that crown, when Pharaoh would wear that crown and that snake would be on top of his head, it would declare to the people, I am God to you. I am a deity. And so what, what he does, he says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? I got a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. And what is Moses' response? The same response anyone would have with a snake. Moses is a shepherd. He knows, he knows what snakes uh, are, are, are for. They're, they're bad. They're going to kill the sheep. In fact, the staff probably would have been a tool for him to get rid of the snake. And now the, the snake, his staff is on the ground. So what does he do? He runs. I'm back. He runs away. And then, and then God, after he runs, God basically tells Moses, stop running and grab the snake by the tail. Okay. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a snake, and I don't know if anyone's ever told you how to handle a snake, but you don't grab a snake by the tail. Because if you grab the snake by the tail, it has the ability to whip around and bite you. And, and rather, you're supposed to grab that thing by the head if you can. Well, well, wisdom would say don't touch it at all. Just run. That's the wisdom. But when God says come back and grab the thing, he does. And that's the sign it turns back into a staff. Oh, well, that, that's, not, that's not totally enough. But I want you to see something that, that the snake... The snake is showing Moses that God has power over evil and he has power over Egypt. He, he's letting Moses know... Pharaoh is, is nobody to me. And I think grabbing it by the tail is, is God's way of showing Moses, you don't have to fear the things of the world. You don't have to fear evil in the world. Grab that thing by the tail. I have authority over evil. I have authority over that which is bad and negative. I am God of those things. 
Then secondly, if that's not enough, he actually tells Moses, take your hand, put it down into your bosom and pull it out and it becomes leprous. Now Moses' response most likely would have been, that's a death sentence. I'm gonna die. But it's also a picture throughout the Bible of the effects of sin and death. And so God says, okay, put it back in. He puts it back in. He pulls it out and he's healed. This is God's way of showing Moses, not only do I have power over the snake, not only do I have power over the evil in the world, I have power over sin, and I have power over sickness, and I have the power to heal it. God has power over sickness and death. And then lastly, he says, okay, the third sign I can't show you because he's not at the Nile River, but if they don't listen to your words, Moses, if they don't look at the signs and listen, Moses, then I want you to go to the Nile. I want you to pull the water out of the Nile. I want you to dump it on the ground, and it's going to turn into blood. And the reason this is important is because the Nile was the lifeline of Egypt. It's really the place of their prosperity. It was the place that fed their crops and their fish and their birds and their water. In fact, Egypt was built around the Nile. It's all about the Nile. No Nile, and then there's no life in Egypt. In fact, they called the Nile the father of life, the mother of all, the spirit that blessed the land increasingly. To them, the Nile made Egypt Egypt. And this is God saying, all of that, your Nile, all of that, it's nothing. Your world, your security that you've placed in this river, it's nothing to me. It's, it's nothing but blood. God has power over that. That's the authority in the miraculous of God. Now, let me just mention for you and I that God himself continues to give us signs of his power that will work through humility. Which, which is what? What's the ultimate sign for us? We just celebrated it last week. The ultimate sign for us as Christians, it's not the snake that turns into a staff or a staff into the snake. It's not cured leprosy. It's not the Nile turning into blood. It's the cross and the empty tomb. And we continually have this as, as our, our sign that God has authority over all that is bad and wrong in the world, and we have the ability now to trust that he's making those things right. I think there's some applications here, especially when it comes to sharing with people, because ultimately this is what Moses is being told to do. Moses is being told, okay, listen, you're going to leave the wilderness. You're going to go back to your hometown, which is something that I had to do. Uh, it was a big step for my wife and I to come back to Truckee, California after being in San Diego. And, and there's a verse in the Bible that has come to my mind frequently that a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. Uh, and, and there have been individuals over the years who said, man, I can't believe you're able to make that work in Truckee. People know you. They knew you. Uh, and yet this is exactly the same kind of mission that God gave Moses. You, you're to go back to your, your place where you grew up. You're going to go back to the people, uh, and you're going to preach freedom and liberation from enslavement. That's what you're going to do. And, and so likewise, we need to be doing the same thing as Christians. Uh, and there's a few things that I think are applications here that God will use in regards to us sharing our faith. Here's number one. Number one, God will use what's in your hand. Number one, God will use what's in your hand. Notice what God says to Moses. What's in your hand? It's a staff. God knew that Moses was a shepherd. And he said, that's what I'm going to use. And then secondly, God's basically saying to Moses, be willing to take your staff, your gift, your talents, your treasures, whatever those may be, and be willing to throw them on the ground that you would pick them up again to be used for God's glory. What, what, is, what is the thing that's in your hand that God wants to use? 
What's your staff? Are you a good writer? How can you throw that down to God's feet that you would use your writing for the glory of God? Are you good at music? How can you use music for the glory of God? Are you, are you a good doctor? Are you a good nurse? Are you a good teacher? Are you a good speaker? What is it that's in your hand? All of us have gifts. Uh, we, we, we all have something that we're good at that others are not good at. And God would ask us like Moses to throw those things down at his feet that they would be used for the glory of God. I had a friend in San Diego. He used to tell me, he was an old Southern guy from Alabama, and he'd look at me and he'd say, yeah, you know, Jesse, I don't have, I don't have too many good gifts. I'm like, okay. And he'd say, but the one gift I do have is to make money. Everything I touch turns to money. I thought, man, what an incredible gift. Can I have that gift? And obviously I don't have that gift, but he did. And he, he was a smart guy. He knew how to invest. He knew how to do certain things that made him money. And he knew that his role in the kingdom of God was to make money, to give that money to churches like ours and to ministries like ours, that the gospel would go out, that people would be saved, that they would hear the good message of the gospel. What's in your hand? If it's money, by, by God's grace, use that money for the glory of God. If it's to speak, use that ability to speak. If it's to be whatever it is that you are, a chef or, or whatever, use your gifts for the glory of God. And then secondly, what's your story? God uses Moses' story to bring about the goodness of God, that Moses was this nobody who was left in the Nile River that God brought to salvation What's your story? Your story has power. In fact, nobody can argue with your story because it's yours. No one can tell you that God hasn't interacted in your life. In fact, this is one of the evidences of saving grace in a Christian's life. They know that they know that they know that they've encountered God. In fact, I, I know some of you, uh, because I've, I've, I've heard uh, of the stories and the text messages, that some of you have asked the question, I'm trying to figure out who Jesus is to me. And if you can hear the voice of God, he'd be speaking to you and he'd be saying, I am your savior. I am your God. I'm your Lord and I want to have a relationship with you. And I want you to know me. I want you to know the forgiveness of your sins. I want you to know the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I want you to know that I'm present in the coronavirus, that I'm present in the government and I'm present in all of these things and you don't have to worry and you don't have to fret. What if, what if you didn't feel weak in the season but you felt incredibly strong, not because of your strength but because of the strength and the miraculousness of God? And then lastly, <clears throat> God gives Moses this kind of authority, the Nile River, to kill idols. This is the third thing is, is, is not only are we to lay our gifts down before God, we're to lay our idols down before God. And our idols are anything that, that, we, that we look to comfort for instead of Jesus. In fact, this is a season where many of our idols are being laid low where you're left with, with not being able to go out, hang out at the bar, or go to the beach, or whatever the thing that has been taken from you. Lay your, lay your idols down before God. Lay down Egypt, if you will, that you would truly come to freedom. So there's your application. Now, what is Moses actually looking for God to do? What is God actually looking for Moses to do? He's looking for Moses to be obedient to be obedient, not because of his strength, but because of God's power. I want to read to you from Hebrews eleven twenty four. 24. It's an insight into what I think Moses is experiencing here as he has to be obedient. Now, the ways he has to be obedient, he has to go back. 
He has to take the snake by the tail. He has to pour the water out as an act of judgment. It's going to become blood. God's word has to go forth. Moses has to be obedient. That's part of our relationship to God. He's miraculous. He's loving. We respond in humble obedience that the power of God would flow through us into the world, saving people's souls. And what does it say that, that how he does this is by faith, Hebrews eleven twenty four. Listen carefully here because this is really powerful. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's laying down his idols. He, he said, Moses in faith said, I'm going to go back. I'm actually going to be persecuted because it's better to be persecuted in the house of God than it is to be dealing with or living with the pleasures of sin in this world. And then listen to what it says here. This is incredible. This is hundreds of years before Jesus has shown up on the scene. It says this, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Did you hear it? Did you, did you hear it? Did you, do you see it? If you're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 on, he left Egypt, it said, because it was better for him to have Christ than to have Egypt. This is amazing. This shows us that Moses had this idea of grace and the gospel and the idea of Jesus all the way back in Exodus, and he left in obedience after this conversation. Somewhere along the line, Moses realized it is better to be wandering in the wilderness of Egypt aimlessly in the presence of God than to have surety in the place of Egypt. My friends, what's more important to you today? Your comfort? whether you have toilet paper or not, whether you have enough Netflix shows to watch, whether you go back to work, or is it the fact that you have God and God alone? What matters more than anything else in this short life that we have here is that we feel rooted and we have concrete ground to stand upon because we are one with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Is your life in this season marked by God's authority and power? Not that you're perfect because you're going to struggle, but is your life marked by the power of God? And then ultimately this, and this is where I'm going to get ready to close here in just a few moments, so stick with me. Do you look forward to the promised land? Do you look forward to this reality that God is not saving us for this world, but one to come. This world has brokenness, my friends. It's, it's all kinds of broken. And yet we're given a promise of a better world. You see, Moses and the people of Israel, they'll be freed from Egypt, and they'll wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And right now, you and I, there's these themes that God carries throughout all Scripture, even today in our own lives. You and I are wanderers in the desert as well. We're called sojourners and aliens, and we're wandering no different than, than Moses. And we're wondering and asking and hoping for the world to come. Tim Chester has this great quote. He says, we face the same choice as Moses. Every Christian is in the same situation. After our conversion, the land of our birth and our upbringing becomes a foreign land to us. Now we are pilgrims heading for the promised land, the home that is kept for us in heaven. We have to choose. Did you hear that? We have to choose which home we will set our priorities, which home will shape our behavior, which home will define our standard of living. Will we choose the pleasures of sin 
and the treasures of Egypt, or will we choose to be ill-treated along with the people of God? Will we choose disgrace for the sake of Christ? There is a stark choice. Will you live for pleasure and treasure, or will you live in disgrace? You see, what's amazing about this is even, even in this response, we see, we see something really amazing. Because Moses says, send someone else, right? He says, you know what, I, I, I don't want to go send someone else. And, and what happens is the anger of God, it says, is kindled against Moses. Verse 14. Here's this bush, it's on fire. Moses responds in a lack of faith and a lack of obedience in that moment, and it says it kindles. I wonder if that bush just kind of went, poof, a little extra poof, a little extra spark. God's angry at the lack of obedience and faith in Moses. It frustrates him. However, the grace of God is, what does he, what does he do? He says, you know, all right, Moses, I'm going to take what you have. I'm going to take the staff that you have. I'm going to realize your weakness. I'm going to give you a friend. And he brings Aaron along the side of Moses, and he gives Moses a buddy to go about this mission. And you know what? That was true in the New Testament with Paul and Barnabas and Timothy, and it's true for you and I. We're not in this alone. We have each other. And we're connected through prayer, and we're connected through the power of the Word of God. And as we close, I want to encourage you to continue to pursue and seek that relationship with Jesus in obedience, not because you're powerful, but because God is powerful. Because God is sufficient, and he is bigger than this world, for he has overcome this world. Leave encouraged knowing God is going to make all things new. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for our faith in you. Thank you that you are sufficient in our weakness. Thank you that you use weakness to show your strength. I pray, Lord, that we would lay down our lives and recognize we don't need to have it all together. We don't need to be strong. We all, all we need is your strength inside of us. And so we ask for that strength now. We ask for your peace. I pray that as we go about our business that you would help us to raise our children well and to be good husbands and good fathers and good community leaders and good at what we do, that we would use whatever's in our hands for your glory. We trust you for the outcome. We trust you for the growth. We trust you for healing. We trust you for protection. You are sufficient. You are all-powerful. In Jesus' name, amen.